And so the next several uh, messages are really going to be on how to worship and how music fits into that. And uh, I've... I've restudied this more, learned some more things that I find are, are exciting and, and looking forward to sharing with you. But um, as we know, there's a, a, a big division in churches today on music. And uh, I think there's some reasons for that. Uh, in fact, probably mostly, I know there's some individuals like Roger and so on have really done a thorough study on music and, and they've got biblical convictions already there. But I'd say many of you, even if you've been saved for 20, 30, 40 years, you've probably never heard a series of messages preached on what does the Bible say about music? Or even had a Bible study on that yourself. And uh, in light of today, and, and we'll, we'll see this as we go a little bit more, but Music has always been a divisive issue within the local church. Um, you can go back into history, and they didn't have hymnals. But when hymnals came to the book or to the church, there was a fuss over the hymn book. And then they brought the piano into the church, and there was a fuss because they brought the piano in. And then they brought an organ in, and we got both. We got all three. And every time something changes within the music, the church fusses over it, and. Uh, it's sad uh, because the biggest book in the Bible is a hymn book. <laughs> the book of Psalms is a hymn book. And uh, so there's much to say about it. Satan deliberately has used it to be divisive. Satan, as we will see, because we will have a message on that alone, he was a masterful musician. God created him that way. And uh, so he's, he is taking, I believe, is using music. Because name one thing that we do in America that doesn't have music in the background. Well, maybe, Pat, did you have surgery this week? Was there music in the background there for that? Maybe not in the surgery, maybe not in the operating room, but was there music in there? There you go, see? <laughs> so, uh, music touches every aspect of our lives. They advertise with music. Uh, music is a multi-billion dollar business. And not just in the secular world, but also in the Christian realm as well. And so we want to make sure that where we're at with our own personal convictions on music is based on the Word of God and we're not letting preferences creep in and, and taint where we're at with that. So uh, we're going to I hope you enjoy this. I've enjoyed pre pre preparing these messages for it and uh, looking forward to sharing these things and and 25 30 years ago um, I'm not where I was 25 30 years ago in, in the area of music uh, because I had a lot of preferences I had no biblical basis for them but I had my own taste and so on and and uh, so as far as what I believe is God honoring I, that really hasn't changed much but my perspective on some things has changed in regard to that, and you'll see that as we go along here. But as your own personal music, you need to, in fact, I remember when my wife and I, we were only married a couple years, and uh, we were listening to uh, kind of some pop rock, you know, not the heavy metal stuff, that was not our interest, uh, but we were young and, and growing, and we got convicted about even listening to that, so I thought, well, I'll listen to Country Western. There's nothing wrong with that. And and I, I turned to the Country Western station and it came on. The number one hit for Country Western this week is Dolly Parton's D-O-I-V-O-R-C-E. Now, <laughs> uh, does the Lord really want me to listen to that? And so I'm thinking, well, what do I listen to? And it's like he's whispering in my ear, 
what's wrong with Christian music, you idiot? You know, there's a lot of that out there. You know, so we began to listen to um, more Christian music. And, and it was amazing. And there was no tension in our home. Uh, but there was a renewed atmosphere in our home as we begin to play godly Christian music instead of playing some of the worldly stuff. And even uh, country western, if you listen to them, most of them are sad love affairs, extra love affairs, and all that kind of stuff. And that's certainly not what God wants us to listen to. So things began to, uh, we get, begin to make some changes in our, our music or listen to. And I don't listen to just strictly Christian music. I don't, and I know some others are Roger and Neil, they're, they're great in classical. I like a little bit, but not a lot. But uh, I think there's a place for it. Uh, my daughter, she listens to everything. She's got all kinds of of music. She's got thousands of music that she listened to and she has a wide variety. Mine's not quite so wide, uh, but I do listen to other styles of music and some that I find uh, uh, very much a blessing. But I gotta believe them, uh, to admit that most of my diet is Christian music, something that's going to feed my soul, help me see him, and encourage my relationship with him. And, and that's what we want and that's where we need to be. So since everything we do is an act of worship, we need to discover what worship is. And so that's where we're going to start. So it may not have a direct, the Bible says this is what we should listen to, but it's going to be the principle behind what we do listen to. And, and this applies not only to music, but this will apply to what you watch on television. Because you, there's some things on television you can't watch and worship God. Just can't do it. It's not going to happen. So, let's look at this and see what God has for us today. Worship is an action verb, which means it's something we do. It's not a spectator sport. There are some that are in church today that are here just to spectate. I hope that's not you. In fact, I praise the Lord, just about everybody in our church is some ministry in the church here. They're not spectators, they're participants. But there are many churches today that... Quite frankly, 80% of the church is spectators. They come to church, and they fill their pew, and that's all they do. And they won't do anything else till next week. And those usually don't even pick up their Bible until they come to church on Sunday. That's not worship. It's not, that is not action. So, um, we do not just watch. God has designed us to be active worshipers. Let's look at verses 21 and 23. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for our salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Why is the Father seeking those to worship Him? Because in our worship, it develops our relationship with Him. And that is what God wants more than anything. Let me emphasize again, if, we, if we're not awed by this. Almighty God, the creator of the universe, wants to have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with you and with me. Does that blow your mind? Almighty God, the creator of the universe, wants to have a one-on-one -on -one relationship and he's seeking those that will pursue that. And as a result of it, 
We will have true joy, true peace, true love emanating from our lives, even though we live in a sin-cursed world. It is the only hope you and I have. And God has designed us to be the only creature on the face of the earth to be worshipers. Unless you want to include the angels in there. Angels are also worshipers. But our pets and the animals out there in the wilderness, they do not worship God the same way we do. He has not designed them. And if we are not worshiping God, we are going to be worshiping something else. When you boil it all down, when we're not worshiping God, I am worshiping me. Now we know Satan's behind all that, and Satan wants us to worship him. We'll be looking at that more in regard to all this. But that's why, again, the, the thing with Israel that we looked at, that's what Satan's trying to do. Keep Israel out of the picture so we'll keep worshiping him. That's exactly the bottom line. So it says, worship the Father. That was the focus of the conversation. However, the question was, where will the worship take place? Notice what it says here. Believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. What mountain is he talking about? They're in Samaria. Now, what are the Samaritans? The Samaritans were Jews that were intermarrying with other nations that they were not supposed to. The Jews rejected them, so they went to Samaria and set up their own place of worship. Then the Jews, they worshiped in Jerusalem. So there was a division as to where to worship. That's where the emphasis is being made here with this woman. For she says in verse 20, Our fathers worship in this mountain. You Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. But what is Jesus Christ saying? It's not the place. It's the who. So we come here to worship today, but when you go home, will you still be worshiping? When you go to work tomorrow, will you still be worshiping? When you go to school tomorrow, will you still be worshiping? We should be, because it's not a matter of the place, it's a matter of who we are focusing our attention to, focusing our love on. That's what Christ is saying. We, you worship, we worship in verse 22. So it's not a matter of what we, whether we should or should not worship. It's a matter of who we're going to worship. The Greek here, the verb indicates, it's a Greek verb being used as a noun, which means the worshiping ones. You and I are to be worshiping ones, and there's only one individual in all the universe that's worthy of our worship. And it's our almighty God, the Creator. And he's not just our creator, he's also our redeemer. He's also our provider. We sit here today well fed because he provides for us. <laughs> we sit here dressed because he has provided for us. But more than that, he sent his only son to die on the cross, to spill his blood, so that we can be redeemed and reconciled to him. That alone is worthy of his worship. Now we're spoiled here in America. In fact, I was reading uh, one of John Piper's books, which, amazingly, I learned yesterday he's a replacement theologist. I've read 13 of his books and never even seen a hint of it in his books. But he was uh, talking to a Chinese pastor. And he said, I wish you Christians in America would quit praying for the persecution to stop in China. The church is thriving because of persecution. 
We Chinese are praying that America will be under persecution. Because when you're under persecution, it tends to narrow your focus to who is important. Like you were saying yesterday, going to the mall or going to Walmart just seems so mundane. After hearing the word, it's not really significant. Now, yeah, we got to go there to get things to survive, but when we realize what God's plan is and who He is, everything else in life just seems so mundane. That's the way it should be. And when we're doing that, then we know our focus is where it should be. Because now we're not walking through Walmart and saying, boy, I wish I had money to buy this, and I wish I had money to buy that. It doesn't matter. I don't need it, or God would provide it. And that's what the Chinese are. They welcome persecution because it's keeping them focused on Him and worshiping Him. And I've been saying it for years, and I believe with all my heart, that's what America needs today to get back on track spiritually. Our old, the Old Testament worship was 24-7, wasn't it? That's hard for us to imagine, but you ever get bogged down in the details of all the sacrifices and all the special holidays they had to keep? It seemed like you just got done one and you're into another. Why did God design that? Why did God design that to be so detailed? He was encouraging His people to be worshiping Him 24-7. He knows we have trouble keeping our eyes on Him. And Israel certainly proved that, didn't it? How many times did they fall into apostasy? How many times did they fall into idol worship? If they had just simply followed what God did and not, and they did do the sacrifices on a number of occasions, and the Lord said, I don't accept that. Why not, Lord? We're doing all the right things. Your heart is far from me. You're not doing it because you love me. You're doing it because it makes you look good. That's a question we need to ask ourselves today. Why are we here in church today? Is this making me look good spiritually? Are we here to see Him more clearly so that we'll be fed the Word of God and just want to worship Him the rest of the week no matter what the week holds? Does anybody know what's coming this week? But I know who does. And it doesn't matter. And look at Doug. If he knew he was going to fall off that roof when he got up there... <laughs> Did God know he's going to fall off that roof? He did. And I believe I know Doug and Heather well enough and Tim and Connie and all their family, they're still worshiping God through all this. It didn't change their worship. In fact, they will enhance their worship of him. They will see God do things that they never thought possible through this ordeal. Some of you experienced the same thing in your own lives. So the Old Testament was very tedious but the purpose of it was object lessons to keep their focus upon Him. So that they were worship of where it should be. So worship is not about an actual location. I know we, and I don't know how else to describe it. We come here to worship. Well, we do. Now our worship here is a little bit different than when we go home because we're doing it here as a family. It's different when we do it, as a, it corporately. But when we go home tomorrow or this afternoon, it'll be a little bit different because now it's just me and God. But there needs to be the body coming together. Israel did it. How many times did God have them coming together as a, as a nation to worship Him? So there's different forms of worship. And we'll develop that as we go along. But worship is the priority in verse 23. 
But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking those that will worship Him in truth. Now, I'm teaching a class, and it's still not too late if you want to participate in it. How do I study the Bible properly? To impress you, we have a big word called hermeneutics. <laughs> but it simply means, how do I study the Bible properly? There's a lot of churches out there today, and this replacement theology is one of them, that, that is becoming so prominent in our churches today. How did they get there? They're not using proper biblical principles to study the Word of God. They started with a preconceived... It's, it, it's illogical that God could set Israel aside and revive her later and still use her. So there's got to be another plan. So it must be the church replaced Israel. That's not what God's Word says. It may not be logical to us, but that's what God's Word says. So we need to seek the truth. The question we need to ask ourselves today, am I seeking Him? Every day when you get out of bed in the morning... Are you seeking Him throughout the day? God, I want to see you more clearly than I've ever seen you before. We need to be seeking Him. He's the only thing worth seeking. When we worship Him, we are developing a relationship with Him. Again, be impressed with the fact that Almighty God wants to have a personal relationship with you. Not just while we're living here, because it will last for an eternity if you know Christ is your Savior. Now, if you've never admitted to God that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, you're in desperate need because you die without Christ. God promises by His holiness He has to send you to the lake of fire. But if you put your faith and trust in the shed blood of Christ and believe that He took the whipping for you to take, pay the penalty for your sin then we can begin to develop a relationship with Him that will go on for an eternity. As we do so, it will affect how we go to work. I'm sure some of you men and some of you ladies have jobs that you don't really particularly like, but it pays the bills, so you go. But who gave you that job? God did. And why did God put you there? Your job is not just to earn a paycheck. Your job is to reflect Jesus Christ while you're there. And so there's individuals that are going to watch you. There's going to be conversations that are going to be had that you can share Jesus Christ. And if you enter that place of work and look at it as a mission field and not just a job because of your worship of Him, I guarantee you, because I know from personal experience when I was still in the working world, it will change your whole perspective of getting out of bed in the morning and going to work. It'll affect how we serve each other in our homes. I guarantee for work, the better we worship God, the better we'll worship our spouse. Now that sounds good, doesn't it? Yeah, honey, worship me more, worship me more, yeah? No, it's not about you worship, it's you worshiping him or her more. And when we begin to live that way, our marriage relationships get better. Because life is not about me, it's about Him. That's the way God designed it. And if you've got neighbors that are kind of cranky and hard to live with, and maybe someone you work with that's hard, God will even help you to love them. And if you can't love them as a neighbor, you're going to have to love them as an enemy. And you can do that too. 
But if you don't worship him, you cannot worship, you cannot love your neighbor, love your enemy. It won't happen. Because why are we being antagonistic towards that enemy? Because they're not meeting my world. They're not developing my kingdom. And that puts the focus back on us. So when we worship, we're developing a relationship with him. Worship is to be passionate in verse 24. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship in spirit. He is to be our motivator. The Holy Spirit is the one that's the motivators to do what we do. Our senses are not to be our motivator. Isn't it amazing the five senses that God has given us? The fact that we can see and see color, hear voices, even our touch. I don't know about you, but I, I was sorting some papers the other day and, and I grabbed some papers and my, my fingers could tell I had picked up two pages instead of one. Now, maybe that doesn't amaze you, but that amazes me that my touch is so sensitive that I could tell that. Who did that? God did. And I was telling Ray, we were talking to her last week about um, trying to use our senses to learn the Word of God. That's one reason we do this, because you don't only hear it, you also see it. If there's some way I could get you to smell the message, I'd create a smell so you could smell it. Just so it would stick with you better. That's why we try to use visuals if we can to, to help visualize. And, and, and if there's something I could pass around so you could touch it to help you remember it better. And Christ did that, didn't he? He used all kinds of illustration parables to get the point across. But the Holy Spirit is to be our motivator. And not just our senses, but he used those senses. And the Holy Spirit's never going to use a sinful method to communicate the truth. His motivation will be with true passion, true excitement, true enthusiasm. It will stir emotions. Look at the book of Psalms. I, I did a study this last week uh, on just looking up the word cry and shout and, 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 and things of that nature that will express emotion. Man, there's a ton of emotion in the book of Psalms. As David and others reflected upon their relationship with him and worshipped him. What gets us excited? Yeah, I know March Madness is over and I didn't hear a whole lot about our folks with basketball. But when football comes around, boy, some of you get excited about football. Uh, now, my idea of football is in my living room in front of the TV. But some get excited about going in the atmosphere of the football stadium. And getting excited when the crowd screams, you scream. We get so enthused and excited about the game. Nothing wrong with that. It's a great deal of fun. But what's more important? Our relationship with Christ. Do we show that same kind of enthusiasm, excitement when we worship Him at home or even together as a body? These are choices that God gives us. And we choose and put Him first. That's what makes a major difference. God expects us to choose to develop a passion for Him. Well, oh, help us to do that is to realize I'm saved from the lake of fire. <laughs> I don't know about you, but this person deserves to go to the lake of fire. How about you? That's why I deserve to go. My daily provisions... 
I am spoiled rotten. If we bought another, if we didn't buy any groceries for three months, I believe we got enough in our cupboards and freezer to keep us going for another three, four months. Have you ever come home and your wife bought the groceries and you're trying to get something out of the refrigerator or trying to get something in here and you're mumbling and grumbling because there's so much in the refrigerator? <coughs> you ever do that? How stupid can we be? We have to say, thank God the refrigerator is full. <laughs> and yet we grumble because it's we gotta go to the back of the refrigerator to get the milk or something, you know? How silly can we be? But where did it all come from? God provided that. What about the love and the joy and the peace that we enjoy every day? How about our victory over sin? And in the future, you and I have a home in heaven. There's a new heaven, a new earth coming. Just those things alone should exalt our worship of Him. And that's why every day we've got to be reminded because it's so easy for us to have a bad day. And what do we focus on? That one bad thing. Had a flat tire, the car won't start, the washer broke, something. So what? Will it matter when we get to eternity? Not one lick. But we get so focused on those bad things that go on. And there are, no question, bad things that happen in this sin-cursed world. Some even worse than what I was mentioning. Horrible things happen. And again, you watch the news and see these kids that are abducted and then they find them dead. I just can't imagine the nightmare these young people are going through during those situations. Those are terrible, terrible things. No question about it. But God, too, is involved in that. So we need to go to church to meet with family. Not just blood family. And praise the Lord, we have a lot of blood family that goes to the church together. But in reality, our relationship with Christ makes us closer than blood. And some of you may have some blood relatives that you're not particularly close to because there is no spirit binding you together. But we can have time with family in the church and be closer than blood family. So, however, it is the accumulation of our focus on Him all week that develops our worship. We need to let these things accumulate in our thinking, in our hearts, day in and day out. Well, worship must be intelligent in verse 24. Spirit and truth. Today's world, by Satan's design, truth is relative. It's whatever you want to make it to be. What you believe the truth may not be truth for me. Folks, this is truth and there is no other. This is absolute truth. And don't let anybody ever change your mind on that. Samaria and Jerusalem were places of worship. And there was a lot of ceremony. But there was no worship. In churches all across the globe today, there's people worshiping. In many churches, there's a lot of ceremony. A lot of music going on. But there's no worship. Because it's not about glorifying Him. It's about glorifying me. God doesn't honor it. They may look real good. And we'll see here in a little bit in Revelation 2. What's the application for today? 
Churches may use a lot of liturgy and some vain repetition. In fact, Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, God spoke to the Pharisees about it. These were very deeply religious individuals that really thought they had their act together. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonderful wonders in your name? And then I will declare them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There's a lot of churches out there that are not doing the right thing for the right reason, and God knows the heart. It might fool us. There might even be pastors out there that will fool the congregation. In fact, somebody was just reviewing with me, uh, I think it was Scott, we were talking this week about the Left Behind series, the pastor that was left behind. He thought he had his act together. But he never recognized that he was a, needed a redeemer and accepted Christ as Savior. So when the rapture came, he was left behind. That's what this verse is talking about. There's going to be some left behind. Because they've never acknowledged Jesus Christ for who he is. And they're not worshiping him. They're placing more emphasis on experience than they are truth. There will be experiences that will come because we live the truth. But we do not put experience above the truth. Many churches are doing that today. Revelation chapter 2. Christ knew this was going to be a problem. And he addressed it in Revelation. Revelation 2, 2 through 4. He says, I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. And I know you cannot bear those who are evil. Nothing wrong with that, is there? Sounds great. I could be included there, couldn't you? And you, and you have tested those who say they are apostles or not and have found them liars. So they went to the point of identifying the false teachers. And you have persevered and have had patience and labor for my name's sake and have not become weary. I don't know about you, but that describes pretty good Christian, I think. That's what I'd like to be, don't you think? But look at verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. They were being very religious and very, very energetic in their fulfillment of religious duties. But what was the bottom line? They weren't doing it because of their love for God and their worship of Him. They were doing with it how it made it let them feel, how it made them look. Or God, look what I'm doing. I'm just the kind of individual you want in heaven. So why aren't you taking me into heaven? He wants us to be serving Him. And I believe we can do... In fact, I, I talked to a pastor recently... There's some things in the church that weren't do, being done to his level of uh, efficiency. So since it wasn't efficient enough, they stopped doing it all together. 
as a result of it, they don't have any youth program, they don't have any youth leaders, because it just wasn't being done to his. You gotta start somewhere. Build on it. Does anybody here serve God perfectly? I don't. I've learned a lot over the years, and I hope I will continue to learn. I'm not concerned about how lousy a job I do when it's my best, because God knows my heart. I'm doing my best, God, and he, yeah, I know that. And he'll show me how I can improve, and I'll improve on it and be glad to do it. God's looking for the motivation behind why I'm doing it. Am I doing this to look good? <clears throat> or am I doing this because I really love you, Lord, and I'm doing my best? Really what helps me is I'm the fool that God has taken to confound the wise. <laughs> There's people out there, pastors out there, have a lot more abilities than I do, but that's okay. I'm using what God gave me. And if I don't have it, I can't use it. But I've become content to do what God has given me. So, we must seek the balance in all this. We don't want the emphasis on appearance. We want it on worship. We want it on truth. I must please Him and not myself or others. I must know the truth so I can most effectively please Him. Worship must be centered on Christ, 25 and 26. God is spirit, those who worship Him, or 25 and 26, that's 24. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. She had that right, didn't she? She knew that much. Who is called Christ? When He comes, He will tell us all things. What do you suppose went through her mind when he said, I who speak to you am he? Have you ever tried to put yourself in the Samaritan's shoes, this woman's shoes? She knows the Messiah's coming, and we know she's not a very good person, do we? She's sleeping with the, what, sixth man? You've had five husbands, and the man you're with is not your husband at the present time? She had a little problem with the relationship, didn't she? But she's having this conversation with a man, which is unusual because this is a Jew, in Samaria, talking to a woman in broad daylight. Now, we don't think anything about that, but in that day, you didn't do that. And here's a man that's talking to her with compassion, with genuine interest in her life, and yeah, he pointed out her sin, but he didn't really... He's a horrible woman. Get on your knees and confess your sin. He didn't do that, did he? He just simply pointed it out to her. The Holy Spirit was going to take it from there. He said, yeah, I know the Messiah's coming. When he gets here, he'll tell us. I'm him. Can you imagine what that must have been like to have that revelation standing in front of you? The Messiah that she was looking for was actually standing there talking to her. Is it any wonder she went back into the city and said, I think I found the Messiah. <laughs> I don't think there's any doubt in her mind who he was because the whole city came out. Here's this horrible, sinful woman. I'm sure everybody knew her. And she said, there's this guy that knows me and he seems like he really loves me and he says he's the Messiah and I really think he is. I think you all better come out to see him. Because if she was looking for the Messiah, what were they doing? They were probably looking for the Messiah too. The focus was not on 
where she was. She didn't make any excuses for her sin. Her focus was on the Messiah. He's here. I've talked to him. I'm convinced it's him. That's where our focus needs to be, is on the Redeemer. We must come to the conclusion. If we don't, we go to hell. I am a sinner. And the Messiah is the one that came and shed his blood, died on that cross, spent three days in a grave to atone for my sin, and rose from that grave. Now I have the hope of eternal life. As a result of that, he is worthy of my worship. We get so caught up in the everyday hassles of life here. Life is not always pleasant. And if life has been pleasant for you at this point in your life, I guarantee you, unless you die right now, life's going to get difficult for you. It's inevitable. And God, by his sovereign design, is going to use those to challenge you to worship him even more. So when those challenges come, we've got to stop our whining. We've got to stop our complaining. God says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. When those challenges come, we've got to look to him. Okay, God, I see you. Where are you in this? And when we do... That will bring a song out in our hearts. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3 as we begin to wind this down. Colossians chapter 3. We will probably refer to this passage and a couple others like it many times in this series. But as we wind this down, we need to let, let us decide what we will work at worship let us decide that we will work at worshiping him and him alone there's a lot of things we can worship we can worship our homes we can worship our cars we can worship the way we look our clothes we can worship the food we eat we can worship our job the list of things that we can worship are just unlimited but there's only one thing or one individual worth worshiping, and that's God. And if we put him first, everything else will fall into its proper place. Do not save our worship for church alone. It needs to become a daily part of our lifestyle. It needs to be a part of our very character of worshiping him. To develop our relationship with him must become a priority. Mark 12.30, once again, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That is the foundation of our worship. As our worship develops, so will our passion for it. Our passion for Him will continue to grow. It will not always be as mundane as it may be now. It should get more passionate. I know for myself, my worship of God is more, more, more passion now than it's ever been in my whole life. I expect it to continue to get more passionate as I focus my attention more and more on Him. Our worship must be based on the truth of His Word. And because we have a sin nature, we will have to work at developing our worship, our worship of Him. 
the sin nature will always be getting in the way. And when I make a choice to put down my sin nature and worship Him, God will honor me for that and bless me for that. And I will enjoy a great relationship with Him. But in Colossians 3, 12 through 16, our focus will be on verse 16, but to put everything into perspective. Therefore, as you love to God, holy and beloved, Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If you don't have any of those things, it will hinder your worship because your worship is not on Him. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. For above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. As we worship him, we'll want a song to flow out of us. Some of us may have to literally sing by making a joyful noise. But God's not looking at how well you're hitting the notes. He's looking at the heart. That's all that matters to Him. When you're singing because of your love for Him and you can't keep quiet about it, He is just enjoying it immensely. So just sing out. In fact, Psalm says, sing loud. Sing with loud sounding cymbals and trumpets. Let it be known. God wants to hear it. In fact, even Josh tells us sometimes in the choir we're singing and we don't know if we can hit it so we sing a little timid. And Josh says, don't be timid. Just let it ring out. You'll hit it. God doesn't really care whether you do or not. Because he's looking at the heart. So when we sing here as a congregation together, Sing to the best of your ability because you're in awe of who he is. I love it. Both my daughter and my wife, I hear them sometimes just singing songs throughout the house. I haven't graced them with that yet. But, <laughs> but I do enjoy listening. And sometimes in my office, I do when I'm listening to music, there's some that I just got to sing with them. Because we have an awesome God. I don't deserve him. I don't know why he loves me. Because I'm nothing special. But I am grateful. My God loves me. Almighty God, the creator of the universe, loves me so much. His son came and died for me. He's worthy of my worship. It's all based on what I've learned from this book. This is how God reveals himself to me. I trust that you'll pick up your Bible and read it tomorrow and look for Christ in here because he's here. Don't wait till next week. What if you only ate one meal a week? We'd starve to death. I believe there's a lot of Christians out there today that are starving to death because they're only eating one meal a week from the Word of God. God has given it and revealed Himself to us in black and white, and God expects us to pick up this book 
Maybe you don't like to read. That's nothing more than worshiping yourself. I don't like to read, but I'll read because this is where I'm going to find my God and worship Him. I used to be there. I didn't like to read. Now I love to read. And anything I re read that will reveal more of Christ to me, I want to be reading it. That's why I couldn't wait to get started in some of those books yesterday. I got started when I got halfway through it already yesterday. Because more and more it's revealing me to me Him. And I, I need that. I know my sin nature. Do you know your sin nature? Josh and I were talking here a couple days ago. I believe I know my sin nature well enough. If Jesus Christ did not save me and I did not let Him control me and I did not worship Him, I believe I know where this stitzel would be. And it wouldn't be here. It'd be hard to tell how many lives I would mess up because of my worshiping myself and being selfish. And I wish I did better than what I'm doing. But that's a part of the sanctification process. And my God loves me enough that even when I mess up, His love for me is still 100%. And that makes Him worthy of my worship. And that will put a song in my heart. And it should put a song in your heart. Because we have an almighty God that He needs to be worshipped by us. And there's people in this community that need to see him worshiping us. In fact, I talked to a neighbor who just came back from Florida. He said, what's going on at church? I see you expanded the parking lot. Yeah. Because people are coming to worship God. That's what we preach. The word. The neighbors notice. They know something's happening. But when they hear lies being changed... In fact, somebody just shared with me this week. They mentioned that they went to Galilean Baptist Church. I've been hearing good things about that church. You Mary was telling me? People's lives are changing because of that. I wish they're changing. I wish more people are coming here, more people are changing, but we're going to do what God sends us. But we've got to keep up our worship of Him because we're not worshiping Him. We have nothing to share anybody else. Let's keep worshiping Him. And there will be a song in our heart. Father, thank You for loving us. Thank You for being worthy of worship. Thank You for the truth that we can learn to worship You. We thank You for music. We know You love it. And you love to hear it from our hearts. May we use it to enhance our worship of you. Father, we just can't say enough. So we'll just say thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.